Welcome to the Real Turf Techs Podcast for the technician that wants to get real. Follow along as we talk to industry professionals and address hot topics that we all face. Along the way, we'll learn tips and tricks. I'm your host, Trent Manning. Let's have some fun. This episode of Real Turf Techs on Golf Course Industries Superintendent Radio Network is presented by Foley County, a strong supporter of equipment technicians and golf course maintenance departments everywhere. Foley Company offers a proven solution for above and below the turf, for turf professionals everywhere. To learn more about Foley Company's line of real grinders, bed knife grinders, and the Air 2G2 family of products, or to find a distributor, visit www.foleyco.com. Foley, ready for play. Welcome to the Real Turf Text Podcast, Episode 73. Today we're talking to Mike Elliott, Head Equipment Manager at the Union League of Philadelphia. The Union League has three courses, Union League Golf Club at Thorsdale, an 18-hole facility with a par-3 course scheduled to start construction in the spring of 2023, Union League Liberty Hill, an 18-hole facility, and Union League National, a 27-hole facility. Mike has one equipment manager, Nick Surrett, at Thorsdale, another equipment manager, Dominique Fairringer, at Liberty Hill, and at National, he has two equipment managers, George Toth and Nick McArdle. Between all three courses, you can imagine he has a mix of everything. Let's talk to Mike. Welcome, Mike, to the Real Turf Techs Podcast. How you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, and we'll thanks. get right to it. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Tell us how you got into the turf industry. Well, I grew up on the eastern shore of Maryland. And I started, I wanted to play high school golf. And I needed a place where I could play and practice. So at 14, I got a job at a golf course on Cat Island. Uh, there were only two options. One was a little municipal course. And then there was a nine-hole private course called the Cove Creek Club. And I had a buddy that worked there. And he said there was a spot for me if I wanted a job. So I went down and talked to Tim Sage. and. He gave me the opportunity, and I started working for him. Uh, I worked there for five years, and believe it or not, it was full-time year-round, even at 14. I did a lot of painting in the wintertime and odds and ends or whatever needed to be done. Uh, and then one day, a couple years into it, he had asked me if I wanted to become a superintendent. And I thought, that seems like a pretty good job. I mean, he had a house on the property. He had a truck. Got to play golf all the time. What could be better than that? And he told me right then and there, he said, don't do it. He said, superintendents are a dime a dozen. He said, if you want stability in this industry, then you should become a mechanic. And I was thinking, there's no way I'm going to become a mechanic. I mean, that's, that was definitely not in my future. I had no interest in doing that. Not the way I grew up. I'd done a few little things to my car, but that was uh, not really what I had any interest in. So uh, after high school, I went to... Salisbury State University, where I had a lot of fun. I didn't quite study as hard as I should have probably, but I met my future wife there. So things happen for a reason and it all worked out well. 
We moved to Boulder, Colorado in 1997. And since I needed a job, I applied at Boulder Country Club. And they hired me that Friday. I started the following Monday. And I worked that summer on the grounds crew, Moto Greens route every day. And towards the end of the year, they were telling me that I was going to get laid off, which in my mind, I worked full-time year-round at the golf course. They didn't even think about a seasonal position. But um, yeah. they had they had an assistant mechanic position that was open. No, I had a good work ethic, and they knew they knew me well, so they gave me a shot. And I trained under Robert Riker, who was a master mechanic, one of the best I've ever known. He was drafted in the army, and was an airline mechanic. Worked on planes throughout his life. Could rebuild automatic transmissions, body work. There wasn't much he couldn't do. And I was lucky enough to train under him for almost three years. Awesome. Yeah. Before a, um, a head mechanic position opened up at Cold Creek Golf Course in Louisville, where I had a buddy who was the assistant superintendent there at the time. So my wife had asked me, well, she goes, do you think you're ready for a head mechanic position? And I was like, well, if I'm ever going to make it to Augusta, then I need a head mechanic position on my resume. Because mm-hmm. that was my goal, was to make it to Augusta. That's, that was my plan. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to get to the top, and that's where I wanted to be. So you set your ambitions really low. I right? did. I did. Yeah, right, right off the yeah. bat. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm that's just going to be the head guy at Augusta. Exactly. No, that's Everybody awesome, though. And I think that's an awesome goal to to work on and work towards. And possibly, I mean, you, you really, you got there. Not literally to Augusta, but you got right to the top. I got pretty darn close, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt your story. Oh, no, not not at all. So I worked there for three years, and I got married. And when I got back, I ended up getting fired for getting married during Green's aeration, which that's, <laughs> a, that's a whole other story for a different okay. episode. Okay. <laughs> this will be long and drawn out enough as it is, but. Um, <laughs> I decided right then and there that was not going to define my career or my life, and it wasn't going to stop any of my goals. So I had a friend who owned an excavating company, and he needed some help. So I went to work for three years for an excavating company up in the canyon where I lived in Colorado. And I became his mechanic. I worked on everything. I also mm-hmm. operated everything as well. So I mean, skid steers and excavators. We did a lot of tree work, so we had log skidders and feller bunchers and dump trucks and low boys, and I hauled equipment. I had a CDL, a Colorado driver's license, so I figured I was Mm -hmm. good to drive the trucks wherever I wanted, as long as we never went below 8,000 feet, and nobody ever got stopped. So it it was a a pretty good little gig, but my son was born in 2005, and I realized that I was leaving for work when he was asleep, and I was getting home as he was going to bed. Mm-hmm. And I decided I want to get back in the golf course business. So I found a job at Applewood Golf Course in Golden, Colorado. Was working for a management company, American Golf. And we had found out that the lease for the golf course was up at the end of the year. And there was some questions of whether the golf course was even going to stay a golf course. There was rumored mm-hmm. that they were going to develop it. And so I decided maybe I should start looking for another job. And I got on TurfNet and 
I found Red Sky Ranch was hiring an equipment manager. And at the time, Red Sky was the number one and number two course in the state. It was a Fazio course and a Norman course. So I got my resume cover letter together and I set it up on a Tuesday morning. I ended up going up to an interview on Thursday and I got offered the position Friday morning. And again, my wife, being the cautious one, she's like, are you ready for the number one course? And <laughs> again, if I'm going to make it to Augusta, I need a number one course on my resume. Yeah, yeah. So I worked up there for just under three years when we, for many reasons, we had decided that we were going to move back to the East Coast, mainly to be around family and grandparents for my grandson, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. we started looking for jobs, which leads me to my next point of don't burn bridges. You never know when you're going to need an old reference or an old job or anything like that. So I talked to my first boss from when I was 14, told him we were moving back east. And he had a good friend named Paul Brandon that worked for Fitch back here, the John Deere dealer. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Paul knows a bunch of people. Just send in your resume. And if he hears of something, he'll pass it along. When a couple of months went by, I didn't really hear from Paul. And I interviewed at Sedgefield Country Club in Greensboro, North Carolina, with uh, okay. Keith Wood, where they have the Wyndham Championship. Because mm-hmm. again, if I'm going to make it to Augusta, I need a PGA Tour stop on my resume. Yeah, 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 right. Yep. So I got offered the job on a Thursday afternoon, and I was going elk hunting for the weekend. So I was like, I'll call you Monday and let me think about it a little bit. And Friday morning, I got a call from my dad. And he said, don't do anything drastic. Call Paul Brandon, Pine Valley's looking for a mechanic. And I'm thinking, I'm like, Pine Valley, Pine Valley. I was like, why does that sound so familiar? Mm -hmm. And he's like, just Google number one course in the world. (laughs) I was like, oh, that Pine Valley. Oh, yeah, that Pine Valley. (laughs) Yeah. So I called Paul and he said that Rick was looking for a mechanic. Had called him and he passed my resume along and he liked what he saw. So Rick called me that afternoon and a month or so later, he flew me out for an interview and a few weeks after that, offered me the job and that was it. I started working there in January, 2010. So how did your, how'd your dad have the inside track on that job? My dad was very good friends with my first boss. And okay. he remained good friends with them to this day. They played golf together. And mm-hmm. So we said, you just, you never know when those old references are going to come back and help you oh, out. Yeah. So especially this industry. Too. Right. For sure. Now, this yeah, is a, awesome. we all know this is a very close knit industry. So there's a probably three degrees of separation between everybody in this, in this business. But my wife and I had always said, where do you go from Pine Valley? There's. Once you get there, I mean, you can maybe make more money somewhere else or whatever, but you're really just trading one set of headaches for somebody else's set of headaches. So mm-hmm. the only logical choice was if I ever found a multi-course facility that was looking for an equipment manager to run everything, then that would be the one job I would leave Pine Valley for. And how long were you at Pine Valley? 11 and a half years. Awesome. Okay. So Very cool. I had a good run. I got to I got to see a lot of your uh, handiwork when I stopped by there in in March of this year. Nice and Tom, yeah, Tommy was giving you all the credit too. 
Good. Mike did this. Mike, Mike done that. Mike <laughs> did this. I mean, it, it was very cool. Yeah. At a course like that, it's fantastic because, I mean, I had everything. MIG welder, TIG welder, milling machine, lathe, bandsaw. I mean, there wasn't much that we couldn't make or do there. I mean, it could, was... could we talk about the MIG welder for just a minute? Sure. Because I've seen a lot of MIG welders. This has to be the nicest MIG welder I've ever seen. And I don't know how much it cost, but it wasn't uh, just your average little MIG welder. The the Miller? I think. I don't remember if it was a Miller or a Lincoln, that, but it, it was the, huge. And it was that in was the back a, corner. That was the TIG welder. Oh, okay. The TIG welder. All yeah, right. that was TIG and stick. I wanted to start making spray hawks because the ones we bought were thousand to fifteen hundred bucks a piece they're steel they're heavy the cumbersome mm-hmm. and i told rick i wanted to make spray hawks but i want to make them out of aluminum mm-hmm. and he's like you're gonna need a new welder aren't you i was like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> so i i picked that one out and honestly that was a lot bigger than i thought it was going to be too yeah we, we went to pick it up and i went in the back room and i was like so where's my welder and they're like that's it right there i'm like what do you mean? Like, this is like a refrigerator. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, it was huge. <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, it was awesome. So I taught myself how to run the lathe, taught myself how to run the mill, the TIG welder, taught myself how to weld aluminum, watched a couple videos and a lot of frustration and a lot of tungsten at the beginning, but I mm-hmm. got pretty good at it at the end. And it was, uh, it was, a, it was a fun time. So very cool. But the union league. I didn't really know much about them, but they had bought a golf course right near my in-laws house at the Jersey Shore. Mm-hmm. It's, it was called Sand Barons. And I remember when Sand Barons first opened in like 2000, and it was a great little course to play, 27 holes. And then all of a sudden this union league buys it. Like, what kind of a union buys a golf course? Because being mm-hmm. in the Philly area, there's unions everywhere. So I did a little research and figured out what the Union League was. And I guess a quick little backstory on that. The Union League was started in 1862 as a way to raise campaign funds for President Lincoln's reelection bid. Okay. And they've been around ever since. It's the top city club in the country. Mm-hmm. And they bought their first golf course, the Union League Golf Club at Torsdale in 2014. Then they bought Sam Barron's in 2015 and did a massive reconstruction on it. We're actually up for best new course of 2023, I think. So wow, awesome. we'll see what happens. So they're, that. they're really new to golf. Yeah. Relatively. Yeah. Yeah. In the grand scheme of things. And then when they bought the ACE club in, I guess it was early 2021. That's when I started thinking about it a little bit more and realized, Hey, they've got three courses now and maybe this deserves a phone call. Mm-hmm. And Scott Border, who's the director of agronomy, had left Chicago Golf Club to come to the East Coast. He was a Marion guy and uh, came back to the East Coast to run the Union League. And I had a good buddy, Pat Hockey, who used to be the super at the East Course of Marion. And he left Marion to work at the Union League. So mm-hmm. I knew some people and it sounded like a pretty good opportunity. And I made a phone call and... I vetted Scott, he vetted me, and we came to an agreement, and that's what got me to leave Pine Valley. So, no, I don't, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. Very, you know, very cool. I never 
I finally made it to Augusta for the final round of the Masters in 2017, but it's uh, never, I still haven't seen the shop yet, but one of these days, okay. maybe. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, honestly, I don't even know if uh, Fred is still there or not. I hadn't seen him or heard from him in a long time. That's another yeah. thing, and, and not talking bad about Augusta, but the the people there, they're so secretive about what they do, and they can't really talk and help others too much. Right. Yeah, and the Union League is a complete opposite. Pine Valley was kind of the same way as far mm-hmm. as like posting pictures of the course and stuff like that. I mean, we're encouraged to post pictures on social media, bring people out to play. It's It's nice to be able to have a place where you can post pictures because you're proud of what you do. You want to be able to show off your place of work. And Oh, yeah, for sure. Plus, it, it's nice to be able to bring people out to play golf every once in a while. So mm-hmm. I, do, I do enjoy that. So. So do you still play much golf? Yeah, I do. I, I play quite a bit. I'm well, that's a, awesome. Yeah. yeah, I'm about a five and a half handicap, so I play fairly regularly. I'll try to hit balls after work a couple of days a week, and it's a, it's a good time. No, that's very good. So work-life balance stuff's really good there, too, sounds like? It's fantastic. Yeah, that's um, really good. Yeah, definitely. No, I love it. I, no regrets. It's uh, probably the best job I've ever had. Maybe, maybe pouring beer at Red Rocks for six years. That was <laughs> that was a pretty good job too out in Colorado. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> I got you. Do you relief ground? I haven't really relief ground with the Uni League yet. I had, I've been a Bernhard guy my entire life. I've never mm-hmm. worked at a shop that has had a Foley grinder until I got to Liberty Hill as Foley grinders. But I don't think the old mechanic ever relief ground because I can't get the head to move right now. So okay, yeah. we'll see about that. But um, yeah, at Pine Valley, I had like the rapid relief that kind of like mm-hmm. grinder on the angle frame section or whatever, and uh, I used that quite a bit, uh, at least for the fairway reels. It was hard enough to get that into the seven blade reels, much less trying to get a smaller one. It's pretty easy to smoke a blade with that thing, so mm-hmm. I didn't even try the thinner ones. But as far as just thinning a blade and allowing me to grind a lot faster, then I definitely like the process. Yeah. Definitely held an edge a little bit better. So I'm hoping in the next few years we're going to be building a new maintenance facility down at Union League National, and I would love to be able to incorporate a relief grinder of some sort into that setup, whether it gets taken to all three courses or whether we end up getting something for each course, but in the future, it's something I'd like to get back into a little bit more. So very we'll nice. see how that goes. Well, we kind of already touched on uh, fabrication, but you got another fabrication story you want to share with us? I really like making your own spray hawks. That was awesome. Oh yeah, they were great. And I, I made those for about $30 at aluminum and all in, I think it was about 200 bucks. Wow. They were, they worked out really well, but uh, I haven't made too much for the Union League yet. I did make some cup pullers, so that's uh, that's pretty important. Um, yeah, you got to have those. Yep. I made one just the other day, and I don't know why, but the director of agronomy comes out, and he says, I can't find a cup puller in this building. Will you make <laughs> me one? So I'm like, okay, that's, give me a minute. That's pretty much what we said. Like, where are all the cup pullers? <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, I'll make a few. 
But some of the things I have made in the past, I don't know if you're familiar with those core buster drag mats, the big ones from Parade, the big like black plastic ones that have like the little mm-hmm. squares. Well, those yep, things yep. are pretty heavy and awkward and they're like eight feet wide. But especially if they get, you're trying to drag wet plugs with them, they get off full and they're heavy and awkward. So I ended up making three frames that would mount on the back of a golf cart and it had a winch attached to it. So when you got done dragging, you would just raise the bed up, hook the winch up to the mat, winch it up onto the frame, lower the bed back down, and then you can go to the next hole. Uh, we ended up, we used to replace those things every year or two because hanging off the side of the cart, they would always crack and break. And once I made mm-hmm. those frames, I, I think they're going on seven or eight years now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was a, that was a really good, really good little thing we made there. Do they fold up too so you can get down a cart path or it's still eight feet wide? It's still eight feet wide. Yeah, because gotcha. the frames, the uh, the mats all fold, so they're they're pretty rigid. Yeah, 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 true. So true. You, you just needed something to be able to hold them steady. Yeah, workbenches, layout tables. I even made we made fiberglass inserts for all the golf carts. Because when you're top dressing with dry sand, it always finds a little crack to fall through, and mm-hmm. having to wash the carts out to get the dirt out and then dry it so you can duct tape everything up. I made a wooden box that fit the inside of the cart and. We got uh, a bunch of fiberglass mat, the one and a half ounce chop strand mat, and I made fiberglass inserts for all the carts. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So it was, I always liked playing with fiberglass. We used to fix a lot of carts at Boulder Country Club. And that was one of the things that I was able to learn from Bob, the old mechanic there, like just some mm-hmm. body work and fiberglass work and stuff like that. And it's just a fun project to be able to break up the monotony sometimes and it was also, it saved a lot of time. You could just grab the insert, throw it in the back of the cart, fill it with dry sand, and you're good to go. So, hmm, that's awesome. Very yeah. cool. Yeah, I love fabrication. Reels pay the bills, but the fabrication is what kind of keeps you coming back to work. So, yeah, hopefully, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, honestly, that's why the question's in here because reels and cutting unit setup can be pretty monotonous sometimes. And I think a lot of us really enjoy the fabrication aspect of the job because we get to be creative and really use our brains. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, trailers, we've made just about everything. That's what I've always said. If you can think of it, we could probably figure out a way to make it. So, mm-hmm. And then you can customize it to what you want for your application. And you're not relying on something something that somebody else has made that might work. Right. Well, a lot of this stuff is designed for a certain application, and a lot of times directors of agronomy and superintendents want to take this machine and use it for another application, so that way it needs to be redesigned or modified in some way. That's exactly it. If you're going to redesign it and modify it, you might as well just make it the right way the first time. (laughs) Exactly. Well, what's your favorite tool? There's a lot of them out there I like. I love my multimeter. The smartphone's a great tool as far as being able to look something up if you need to. I mean, we've even, to try to slow things down sometimes, we've been able to, we've taken a slow motion video and then taken a slow motion video of the slow motion video to be able to get it slow enough that you can actually see like a Bendix shooting out on the starter and making sure it's spinning correctly and things like that. Oh, wow. Super cool. 
but the flank drive plus wrenches are great. But I guess if I had to pick one, it's a snap on 32 ounce, like the depth blow ball peen hammer and an okay. anvil. You need a good anvil too. You use a hammer for just about everything quite a bit. And I find it don't really need much of a bigger one than that. And they just feel great in your hand. I love that hammer. <laughs> I'm with you on that, and I don't have the 32, but I have the, I know I got the 16, the 24, and then the one smaller than the 16, I don't know if it's an 8 or not, but I love, I'm with you, I love those hammers. They are the best hammers. They're not cheap, but they are the best hammers. No, they're not, but I bought my first one in 2001, and just a year and a half ago, they replaced it under warranty with a brand new one, so... You really can't go wrong with that. Yeah, I don't know how long I had my 24-ounce, but it was replaced a couple years ago. It finally bit the dust, and the cap come off, and still shot went everywhere, and <laughs> it was fun times. Yep, you got to love that. <laughs> but yeah, you get on the truck, no questions asked, and they hand you another one. That's exactly it. Yeah, no, very good. Well, what do you do to relax and find your balance? I do like to play golf, which sometimes that's not always relaxing, depending on how the ball's flying that day. But I guess the best thing I like to do is just sit on the beach. I like to read a book, take a nap. There's nothing better Mm -hmm. than taking a nap on the beach, listening to the ocean crash. And for some reason, once I get across that bridge and I get over to the beach, I just give myself permission to do nothing for the weekend. And it's uh, Mm a... it's a great place to be and just kind of recuperate and catch up on some much needed rest. So mm-hmm. awesome. What's one of the strangest things you've seen at work? I mean, being in this industry for 25 years, I mean, you've, you see just about everything from skid steers, almost completely buried in the mud to where you wonder how they could even gotten it there where I did dig it out with a backhoe. We had a construction project at Pine Valley a few years ago, and one of the guys flipped a 30-ton haul truck. So I had to take a cat wow. 386 excavator and write it again. 386, that's that's a big excavator, isn't it? It's Yeah, it was, yeah, it that's was big. pretty large. It was fun. I liked yeah, running yeah. that thing. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> Sand pros and ponds and things like that. But I guess one of the strangest things that, I still shake my head about sometimes is when I was at Applewood and I don't remember, I don't know if you remember these, it's an old aerator. It was like a, this little yellow thing. It was like an eco, maybe a core master or something like that, but it was a little tiny walk behind aerator that kind of looks similar to the old Toro aerators, like pre pro core mm-hmm. uh, with the wheels on the outside. I had a little Honda engine that sat on top that ran it. And it pulled an amazing core, super lightweight. So I come around the corner up to E Green where the operator was running it. And there was a little, a little creek that kind of ran in front of the, the green there. And as I pull up, I see these tire tracks that were through the creek. And then I look up and I see the operator and he's soaking wet from his thighs down. And he's still aerating the green. And I asked him what happened. And as he came off the front of the green, he went to turn and the whole thing just slid. And he ended up just walking it straight through this little creek. He got a guy to help him push it out. And 
he went across a bridge <laughs> and kept going with it. It's still to this day, I wonder how that thing kept going, but it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, did it have a snorkel on it or what? Well, it just, it wasn't that deep. And the way that little Honda engine just sat up on top, it just, uh-huh. the engine stayed out in the water and it just ran wow. right through and gave it a quick little bath and that was it. So <laughs> <laughs> run it through the car wash in the middle of airification. That's good. Pretty much. <laughs> Very good. Oh. What's one of your pet peeves around the shop? I got a few of them. One of them is when you have to go to change a fuel filter and that fuel clamp is just pointed in the back direction and you just can't get to it. Mm-hmm. Like, that bothers me when people don't put hose clamps in the, the right spot, whether they'll assemble it on a bench and then just jam it in and got mm-hmm. clamps that you can't get to. That's frustrating. Sweeping the shop and then leaving the piles sitting around and not picking the okay. pile up. Because then somebody drives through it, the wind blows through, and it's all over the shop again. I hate workbenches that only get used as catch-alls. Little things like that. Putting nuts and bolts in the wrong bin. But for the most part... Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. Nuts and bolts in the wrong bin. Drives me crazy. Yeah. That's frustrating. Yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, come on. <laughs> right. Pick the right bin. And there is a correct way to roll up an extension cord. So if everybody could learn that, that would be fantastic. But... Why don't, do you want do you want to explain what the correct way is? <laughs> no. I'll, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, thought, I thought we were going to give all the listeners something really good on how to roll up an extension cord. <laughs> you don't you don't just put it in a pile. Yeah. And exactly. throw it in the back of the cart. Okay. Yeah, that's something my grandfather taught me growing up. Just a little half twist into each hand, half twist every time. It works. Uh-huh, right, so. Uh-huh. What would you do without grandpa, though? Oh, I know. Honestly, there need to be more grandpas out there teaching their grandkids how to roll up an extension cord. They really do. How to coil it up. Yep. No, I learned a lot from that man, so. Very good. What what did he do for a living? He actually worked for NSA. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't really know what he did. All right. All right. Fair (laughs) enough. Fair enough. He was probably a pretty smart guy, though. Yeah, he was. <laughs> and not just because he knew how to roll up an extension cord. Exactly. We lost him way too early, but he was a... Mm, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, he was fantastic, so... Well, you already talked about this a little bit, but I can guess who your mentor was, but who is your mentor in the industry? Well, I guess Robert Reichert was the first mechanic I learned from. He taught me pretty much, I mean, everything I needed to know to get a good start. I thought I knew everything at the time. It turns out there was a lot I still needed to learn, but. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and so how old were you when you left him? Uh, 24. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So I started at 21 as a mechanic. First time picking up a wrench. Mm-hmm. And within 10 years, I was at Red Sky. And after 13 years, I was at Pine Valley. So it was a that's, yeah, that's pretty quick, pretty, pretty quick, quick rise way up the, the top, yeah, there. up the ladder so, to the top. Yep, for sure. But, well, do you have any other mentors, and what's some of the most valuable lessons you learned from them? I guess just to basically take your time and not to get frustrated. You see a lot of mechanics out here that will get angry and they can yell and throw things and stuff like that. Every once in a while, everybody's gonna ha- it's gonna happen, but just to 
take your time and give everybody the respect that they deserve. Treat everybody the same. Everybody has a voice and everybody needs to get heard. And yeah, yeah, yeah. you just need to be able to connect with everyone. And the last thing you want is to have that person just hide something broken in the back corner because they're afraid to come into the shop. Mm-hmm. I guess Rick Christian at Fine Valley even has been a pretty good mentor for me over the years. Mm-hmm. I've learned a lot from him. Um, Jim Nedden has become a pretty good friend of mine over the years. Uh, okay. I still call him up once a month at least and we chit chat or I can ask him some random question and the man is a wealth of knowledge. He can tell me that go to the back and check a solenoid. And if it's not between 2.2 or 3.4 ohms, then it needs to be replaced. And uh-huh. the knowledge that he can just pull out of his head at a whim is, it's impressive. So it is very <laughs> impressive. Yeah. He's uh-huh. like a walking encyclopedia for turf equipment. He's, and not just turf equipment, but turf. Right. No, that's exactly it. I mean, he's saved in my contacts as the man who knows everything. So. Oh, wow. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a strong uh, reputation to uphold. But yeah. Yeah. He doesn't like it when I say that, but he's, he's pretty right. good. So. <laughs> yeah, no, he is good. So I hadn't talked to Jim in quite a while. Is he doing okay? Yeah, he's doing really well. He was out. Okay. Just last week, he spent probably four hours with us going over the GPS sprayer. That's, okay, uh, that's the first awesome. GPS sprayer I've, I've had. So it was uh, kind of new to me a little bit. And Toro product? Yeah, it's, we have the Toro 5800. Yeah. Okay, yeah. awesome. So Very it was cool. nice to be able to catch up with him. Plus, pick his brain a little bit. So it makes it nice. Well, what would be your dream job or opportunity? Are you living it? I mean, I'd say I'm, I'm pretty close to it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't see much else I could do. I mean, other than if for some reason I really figure my swing out and I can make it on the senior tour, that mm-hmm. would, uh, that'd probably be the dream job. But, you know, obviously yeah, that, yeah. that's not going to happen because those guys just play a different game than the rest of us. But yeah, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd say what I'm doing right now is, is pretty fantastic. So that's an awesome place to, yeah. to be for sure. And your dream job. What technician would you like to work with for a day? It's hard to pick one tech that I would like to work with. What I really enjoy is when I am able to go volunteer for a tournament. Mm -hmm. I like working with a different tech and see how they plan and strategize and handle their preparation for a tournament and how they run their crew and things like that. I mean, you pick up things to do, you pick up things not to do. If anybody has a chance to go volunteer somewhere in the shop, whether it's a big event or even just a smaller little event, I would have volunteers come out for the Crump Cup with me at Pine Valley. I've done BMW volunteers. I just volunteer for uh, the Curtis Cup over at Marion. So it's it's great. It's nice to just be able to pick somebody else's brain a little bit. And not to mention when you are working for a tournament, then you could to meet a whole bunch of other volunteers that you end up making very good friends with over the years. So, Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I can't say enough on how important it is to volunteer at somewhere else. And like you said, it doesn't have to be a really big tournament. It would be something small. But the other volunteers you meet, the people that work there, you will gain some knowledge from. And like you said, maybe you gain what not to do. But... Most of the time, you can gain a lot of stuff that you can do and take back to your operation and make your life easier. 
No, that's and exactly then, it. Like you're saying, the the people that you meet become your friends. And so my case in point, this past weekend was the Tour Championship at East Lake, and I believe this is my twelfth year going there. I did nice. miss the I did miss the COVID year, but I've got so many friends just from volunteering at that tournament. And Howard Horn, I've had him on the podcast before. Really good friend. He lives close by, and we got a lot of the same interest and stuff. But I really got to know him volunteering at Eastlake. And he came down this year on Friday, so we got to hang out all day. And then Tommy Ritchie, that's at Pine Valley now, he's been on the podcast too. He volunteers at Eastlake every year. And great guy. Really funny, too, by the way. If the listeners don't know Tommy Ritchie, you hang out with him for a little while, you will laugh. (laughs) And then uh, I met last year, I met Chad Kenzer, and he's at the Dunes in Myrtle Beach. And we just hit it off, and we still text and talk from time to time. And he was back down again this year. And then another guy that I met, I had him on the podcast, too. He worked for one of my ex-superintendents. Michael Shelton, he came and volunteered this year. And it was just so fun. I mean, a good group of guys and just hanging out and checking reels out and making sure stuff cuts, grinding. And, of course, Mike Rollins is there. And he's another one in the industry that I've become friends with just from volunteering and meeting him at East Lake last year. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity. And not only for the season mechanic but definitely for the younger guys if you had the opportunity to go volunteer for a tournament just to see how everybody else does it then you would definitely walk away with a lot of insight and a lot of knowledge and definitely things that you can take back to your operation yeah for sure and yeah the the younger people probably will get more knowledge out of it what it does for me is it kind of gives me a a boost of energy, if you will, a renewed spirit, because when you're at your own shop and you're in the literal daily grind of getting stuff done every single day, it can get overwhelming at times. So you take a break, you go to another course, you get to hang out with some really good people, see some different things, different operations on how they do stuff from turf maintenance to real maintenance or what, whatever it is. And I don't know, gives me a, a renewed spirit a little bit. Well, and there's something to be said for just being told what to do every once in a while, not having to, not having to be the one making all the calls. So, <laughs> oh, just, yeah, 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 <laughs> for sure. Yeah, we had a, a leaking greens mower. So the side case on a little Honda engine on a walking greens mower was leaking oil. And I think, they had a, a recall, but they hadn't, they had the kits, but the service tech hadn't come out to do it under warranty or whatever. And anyway, one was leaking a little bit. So Chris Lewis asked me and Howard, can you ride out there and look, see if it's still leaking? Cause we had tightened the bolts up and all that good stuff. So we ride out there. We look at it. Yep. It's still leaking. So we get to call Chris and say, hey, Chris, what, what are you going to do with this? Not my decision. <laughs> right. So, it was kind of nice. <laughs> Put it on somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. So I can definitely uh, relate to that. 
Well, what do you know now you wish you'd known on day one? I've been lucky that pretty much every place I've worked, I've been able to have an assistant mechanic, whether it's a part-time guy in the shop or a full-time guy in the shop. But I guess what I know, what I know now that it's, it's even still a little bit hard for me, but it's okay to delegate. Like I don't have to do everything myself and there are a hundred different ways to do something. So what somebody may choose to do on their own to fix something in their way, as long as the end result is the same, I guess it really doesn't matter. But I've, uh, I could have caused myself a lot less stress over the years if I just sat back, let somebody do it their way, even if it took a little longer and kind of let it go afterwards. So. No, I think that is really good advice. And that's something I wish I would have realized earlier in my career. And I'm ashamed to admit it. I'm probably just now really realizing that. And it's been, it's been a struggle for me because if I see an assistant doing a job and they're taking apart 10 different things that they don't need to take apart to do the job, it's always bothered me and I have trouble just letting it happen, but that's what I need to do is just let it happen. That's exactly it. I mean, nobody learns from their successes. You have to just let them make those mistakes and if it takes three hours to do it and then they realize, wait a minute, I, I didn't need to do all this. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time I, first time I split a Kubota tractor to put a clutch in it, if anybody had been watching me. They would have said, what are you doing? Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, I took every bit of orange off that Kubota tractor. I mean, I took the loader <laughs> off. I took the hood off. I took the fenders and the seat. I took it yeah. down to pretty much nothing. <laughs> and then I took it up and then I put it back together. And I'm like, well, I didn't need to do all that. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and it took me about eight hours. And uh, now I can do it about four. So it, uh, <laughs> it's a little bit, little bit quicker and easier, but... You have to go through that process to be able to just let somebody go through it on their own. It's not the easiest thing to do. Just hop in the cart and take a drive around the course. Come back in a half hour and see where they are then. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Get ready for tips and tricks. What kind of tips and tricks you want to share with us? I've got a few that I'd like. We used to use the old... Jacobson mowers at Pine Valley. We had the, a lot of the PGM 22s, but we also had like the 418s and 518s. And anybody that's used those mowers knows how many different bearings are on there and degrees of it, everything else. And I was able to outsource everything except for the real bearing, the cone bearing with a sealed bearing. Mm-hmm. And I, I like to try to replace. Any greasable bearing with a sealed bearing I can, especially at a green spower. And then I don't have to worry about grease getting anywhere, blobs like that. So that was, that was a good one there. Get the right tool for the job. You're going to save yourself a lot of headache and stress in the long run. Maybe a little more expensive right away, but you know, most of the time, if it's a specialty thing, then you can kind of get the shop to buy it for you as well. And I've been lucky in the last 20 some years of working for a course, they've all supplied tools for me. So mm-hmm. I haven't had to even bring mine in. So that hasn't even been an issue. I um, remember a guy telling me one time, and I was helping him on a job and 
I said, where's your snap ring pliers? And he said, I don't have any snap ring pliers. I just always use a screwdriver. Those snap ring pliers don't work. <laughs> I'm like, if you buy a good set of snap ring pliers, <laughs> it will make your life a lot easier. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I did have to make a set of snap ring pliers one time. I needed a bigger set. And I took a couple of nails and welded them to a pair of channel hocks. Oh, and nice. I, it worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, still might I have st- been crude, but it worked. I still have it in my toolbox here at the house. So it's a, mm-hmm. you know, I don't use it anymore, but you got to keep it for nostalgia purposes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the Fram oil filters. You know how those have the little grip on the end of them? Yeah. I was mm-hmm. wondering why all filters don't have that. So I just, I buy a roll of grip tape. And when I put a new filter on something, I always cut a piece of grip tape and I stick it to the side of a new filter. Sometimes you can get it off by hand. Sometimes you still need a wrench, but you know, those bigger hydraulic filters, especially once the hydraulic fluid starts to flow everywhere, mm-hmm. you can't hold on yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah. You can't hold on to that. But with the grip tape on it, then you can get it off pretty easy. So no, that's yeah. a really good one. I hadn't thought about that. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm trying to put that on just about everything. I guess that's a bit tricks uh, i have a couple tips as well i guess the big thing is you can have something broken in the shop for 11 months out of the year as long as it works for that month that they need it so just make sure that everything's ready to go when the superintendent wants to use it i like to have a grinding schedule i think that would work for a lot of people especially if you're a bigger operation where you have 90 to 100 reels that you're dealing with mm. i didn't have a grinding schedule to sharpen things when they were scheduled, then next thing you know, you've got 70 reels to sharpen and yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Friday yeah. afternoon. So I'm a big proponent of that. I don't, can you speak to that a little bit on, and I know it varies from turf grass type and all that stuff, but just a general rule of thumb on say fairway units or something like that. And I know several guys in the industry that they might say, Every 100 hours, I'm grinding a fairway unit, or every 50 hours or 150 hours. Yeah, I wouldn't even go that long. When I was, right now, it's I'm still trying to figure things out in the free courts. With National, we're going through a grow-in and reconstruction, so that's a little bit different. Everybody has different machines and different top dressing schedules and whatever, but like we'll say at Pine Valley, I would sharpen the fairway units every three weeks. And just okay. give them a, a quick touch up. I used to push it to a month, but mm-hmm. I found if I did it at three weeks, it would save me about two and a half hours because what I could do in eight to 10 passes on the grinder wouldn't take maybe 16 passes on the grinder, which it doesn't seem like a lot, but you know, that little bit adds up when you're trying to grind 24 to 30 reels in a day, which we would do often, especially with three or four guys in the shop. You have somebody take the, pull the triplex in, take the reels off. Somebody takes it apart and starts grinding it. And then somebody else puts it together and having a big enough shop to where you could get three or four triplexes in at one time and have the reels off. And that really helps as well. But, and then I would just start out the year with our biggest tournament and I would go a week prior to that to sharpen fairways and then just go back every three weeks from there and communicate with the superintendent. If we're going to grind, you know, this week, are you going to top dress? Should we push it a week? Should we bump it up a little bit? And you have mm-hmm. to be fluid with the schedule a little bit. But, right, right, right. You know, if you try to try to stick to it, then 
you know, it just, it saves you a lot of hassle in the long run. And like I said, what works for me may not work for somebody else. It's the way I do it. That's, that works great. But I was finding that grinding fairway units every three weeks, I was able to get four years out of a set of reels. And when you have a four-year lease on a mower, then you're not rebuilding cutting units. Get a good quality grease, keep the bearings greased, and they'll save you a lot of headache in the long run. So, Gotcha. I guess it's most of them. Everybody, I think we've heard the laying a bead around a race to Mm -hmm. knock it out with a welder. Well, sometimes they're just in a spot where you can't just knock it out. So if you get a big washer and weld a washer into the race, then you've got something to beat on with a hammer. So, okay. Yeah. Yep. That's another nice one there. And that then I guess a good one. dry erase tape. I found that on Amazon. Okay. 3M makes it. And if you work for a place that, you know, especially in the spring where you're changing heights quite a bit, and when you have 18 to 30 walk mowers for greens that you're changing heights on, I hate pulling a piece of tape off and having to put a new piece of tape on every time I want to change the height. So I found this dry erase tape and you can write on it with a Sharpie little choke and carb cleaner will wipe it right off and then you can write the new height on and again all these are little things to just save you 20 seconds 30 seconds here or there but over a season or a career of changing heights it's it saves quite a bit of time so no no i, I really really like that i'm writing it down <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna find i'm gonna find some of that for sure yeah because just, i don't i've kind of i never like <laughs> And I know a lot of people do it and it works and that's fine. But duct tape is not for me. I don't no. want a piece of duct tape on the machine and ride the height on there. Don't like it. Right. I don't like the way it looks and all that stuff. So I got the little brother labor maker. But like you're saying, I mean, we just went through airification here. So we bumped our heights up and then now we're bumping them down. So we're changing the stickers like every two days or something. Right. And so. Trying to peel the back off those little stickers is yeah, a pain yeah, in the yeah. butt, too. So yep, it's true. Yeah, the dry erase tape has been a, a godsend. And just Amazon dry erase tape, it'll pop up pretty quick. It's pretty good stuff. And I guess the awesome. one last thing is to wear earplugs or some kind of hearing protection. What'd you say? Exactly. <laughs> I spent the first five years of my career at a golf course back in the early 90s where I was running weed whackers and tractors and i didn't wear earplugs mm-hmm. then grinding for the first couple of years sitting behind a grinder with no earplugs and it's just do yourself a favor for, especially for the younger guys and use hearing protection and safety glasses you can always reattach a finger but eyes and ears are a little bit tougher to, tougher yeah, to yeah, fix. yeah yep so. for sure no great advice let's talk about the union league and your intern program that you're getting up and going so we are creating an apprenticeship program to try to get younger guys interested in the industry this is something that i've done for years now throughout pine valley all my other careers if i can find somebody that's a little bit younger especially if i can find somebody on the crew that has an aptitude and you already know they have a good work ethic and Mm -hmm. they want to learn it then bring them into the shop and See what they see how they do. Sometimes they'll work out great, sometimes they won't. But you know, if you're willing to give a kid a career, then you know, I know people are struggling with workers nowadays and how we're going to get guys in. But you know, there's a lot of young kids now that they do want to work. If you find the right person and you give them the right tutorial, then they will 
do wonders for you. And I've had really good success going to the local vocational high schools. And normally there's, you'll find like one gem a year. Mm -hmm. If you can get one senior that wants to do the co-op program, I call it work release. It's not quite work release, but um, they go to school in the morning and they go to work in the afternoon. If I can get a kid at 11 o'clock and get three or four hours, five hours with them in the afternoon, then, mm -hmm. you know, it's amazing what you can do. You get them through their senior year and then if they're interested, then they work that summer. And after three years, two, three years, depending on how much aptitude the person has, I mean, they could be running their own shop. I've cut four guys over the years that I've placed in equipment manager positions at this point. And now what we're doing with the Union League, I have Nick Surrett, who's going to be, I think, on your podcast in a week or so. He is 19 years old and he is running the shop at Torresdale and doing a That's fantastic awesome. job. So good. I've got Dominic Farringer, who he worked in Marion for a couple of years with Robert Smith. He was another fantastic mechanic that I'm lucky to know and work with. He might be better than me too, but that's a, that's a side joke as well. <laughs> <laughs> and Dom's 23 and he's running the shop at Liberty Hill. And I've got a, a kid, Nick McCardell, who is 21 years old. And this kid has got an amazing future ahead of him. And mm -hmm. it's nice to see these younger guys that want to take the reins and they want to learn and i have a little i think i'm getting the dial in but like a three-year plan of what i want to kind of teach them throughout the years and as they progress a little bit faster you know if i can get them to where they can kind of do their normal daily operations grinding reels and setting mowers and things like that and then i can kind of leave them alone for a day or two while i go to another course then mm. and i talk to all of them almost every day or I text and if somebody has a problem, they can call me. But that's the beauty of this position now is I can get a guy that's 21 years old or 19 years old running a shop and I'm a phone call away. Right, right. It really hits the fan. Call me up. I can be there in an hour and a half or we'll order the parts. I'll be there tomorrow. And my goal is to, I would love for these guys to stick around for maybe four or five years or so help train the replacement. And then I would love for them to be able to move on to bigger and better things. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of, a lot of top 100 clubs that are going to be looking for mechanics here in the next five or 10 years, I think. Mm -hmm. And if we can start helping out a little bit and training the next generation, then, you know, there's a, it's a good career. This is why I've been doing it since I was 14. Yeah, exactly. And I figure that's the way I learned and that's how I got in the industry. So if I can, help give a little bit back, then that's the least I can do. So, Well, good on you for doing that. And I honestly hope a lot more people can do stuff. And it all depends on your operation and your club. And I know if you're a small mom and pop course, that's probably not an option for you. But what you got going on there at Union League, and that's awesome. Plus, it sets you up better for the future, too, to keep good talent in there. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, my goal in the next three years is to have somebody that's ready to move on and someone ready to move up at every course and then have younger kids in the wings. I've got a couple kids that are 16 years old right now that one kid I'm going to get in the shop this week and we'll start them out just 
changing oil and push flowers and sharpening blades, but he likes to go home and work on his motorcycles and things like that. So if I can start him young enough and it's what he wants and what he likes to do, then it's a, it's a good opportunity for him. So, and a good opportunity for me. So. Right, right. And that's what I've seen with the, the younger kids is if they are into motorcycles or dirt bike, I mean, whatever it is, something like that. And they have to work on it on their own a lot of times, or maybe they don't have to, but they enjoy working on it. I want to modify this. I want to make it go faster. I want to change the springs on. I mean, whatever it is, you're making modifications of this stuff. And they learn a lot by doing that kind of stuff. So it gives them some of the basic skills. And if we can get them in and show them how to set up a cutting unit, it's golden. That's exactly it. And if I get them at 17, then they don't have too many bad habits yet. And the ones they do have, you can break pretty easily. So Yeah, true. That's, that's uh, a good point, too. That's mm-hmm. the key. And I think for a lot of us in the industry, maybe I shouldn't say a lot, but... I know what happened to me. I created a lot of bad habits because I didn't know any better when right. I got in the industry. And I don't blame it on the guy that taught me the bad habits. He didn't know any better either. We we're all just like figuring it out on our own kind of thing right. back then. And, and with all the technology we have now with YouTube videos and podcasts and being able to pick a phone up and call somebody easily. You're not using a rotary phone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All that stuff. Yeah, if any of the listeners can relate to rotary phones, it's easier now. I mean, there's a lot more information out there, and it's free-flowing a little bit better. That's exactly it. No, it's a, it's a good time working right now. For sure. Well, I'm so excited about what you're doing up there. I can't say enough good stuff about that. That's awesome. Thank you. We're you pretty re- excited about it as well. <laughs> Are you ready for some rapid fire questions? I am. What's your favorite movie? I'm going to have to go with Pulp Fiction. Oh, yes. I love it. It's one of my favorites. I'm going to have to give a quick nod for a trio of close seconds with Caddyshack, the Blues Brothers, and True Romance. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, Pulp Fiction takes it. So, All right. Check out The Brain on Brad. Exactly. I, don't, I mean, I, I could quote that whole movie <laughs> all day much. long. I love all, that movie. All four of those movies, I think I could quote pretty much <laughs> yeah, everything. No, that's, so that's good stuff. And if you haven't seen Caddyshack, then and you're going to be in the turf industry, it's a must watch. So no, it is. It is a, a must must watch for sure. What would be your last meal? Maryland steamed blue crabs. Oh, okay. Growing up on the eastern shore of Maryland, there's nothing better than a hot bushel of crabs. There's yeah. definitely an art to picking them, but once you figure it out, then let's, I, I put that up against anything. King crab, okay. lobster, anything, any day. So, Gotcha. What are you most proud of? I'd say my family and the life that we've made, I guess. And that is, it goes along with me and my entire career as well. Just the strides that we made to be able to get where we are at this point. My son is 17. He's going to be a senior in high school this year, going out to college next year. So we've raised him well, and he's a good kid, and family's everything. So it really is. It really is. No, that, that's awesome. Not nothing more important than family. 
Nope, not at all. And and I am glad a lot of these places in the turf industry is kind of figuring that out, the work-life balance, so you right. have more time with your family. Yeah, that's exactly it. The days of people wanting to work 60, 70 hours a week are and kind of coming to an end. And I think with the technology we have now with moisture meters and in-ground sensors and things like that, then I think everybody's starting to figure it out a little bit more, how they can prep greens in the morning to be able to make them last a little bit longer throughout the day and newer technology and grinders and equipment and everything's just becoming more efficient. And I think we can all just try to do it a little better. Yeah. And it's a good time to get in the turf industry because we're, we're kind of figuring all that stuff out. Exactly. Thank you so much, Mike, for being on. It's been a pleasure. It's been great. I can't thank you enough. No, thanks for having me. I And thanks for doing what you do. I mean, it definitely sheds a light on the equipment manager a little bit and the things that we do and just helps, uh, helps showcase everybody a little bit. So I, my hat off to you for taking the time out of your day to talk and get it all edited and posted and I definitely appreciate it. And I know everybody else does as well. Well, thank you for that. I do appreciate it. Tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you. I, I seen the other day you're on Twitter now. I am on Twitter now. I haven't been in the past, but I figured I should probably get up with the times a little bit. So um, it's M underscore Elliot. That's two L's and two T's underscore golf. And then my email is Elliot M E L L I O T T M at unionleague.org. So reach out, whatever you want. Always available and uh, happy to help anybody with anything I can. I really appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I hope to uh, get back up that way sometime. I had yeah. so much fun touring your facility and that, that was a great time. Yeah, definitely. Love to have you. Thanks, Trent. Hope you enjoyed hearing from Mike. What a great person. And I'm so thankful for what he's doing for the industry, getting an apprenticeship program going. And we need more people in our industry. And this is a great opportunity. And hopefully they spread the word far and wide and get as many people into the program as they can. And I think he made a, a great point about finding your local vocational school in your area and talking to the teachers and seeing if you can get somebody from there. I think a lot of us could benefit from that. And I think the whole industry could benefit from that. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think it starts with us on the grassroots level. Just something we got to do to get more people in the industry. And most of us really love what we're doing. And this can be a great career. So why not turn somebody else on to it? Another thing is go volunteer. I know I say it all the time. Hopefully, uh, the people in the back will hear it this time. If you hadn't volunteered somewhere, just go volunteer. Even if it's a member guest tournament at the course down the road, just see if you can volunteer. You're going to make connections. It's a great networking opportunity. Anytime you visit another shop, you're going to learn something if you walk in with an open mind and see how other people do it. Like the old saying goes, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Not that I know why you'd want to skin a cat. I hope everybody's been doing good. It's almost the end of the season for me. Down here, we're getting ready to put our ryegrass out the end of September. And that's when I take a deep breath. 
And I hope a lot of you's already been able to take a deep breath. And if not, hopefully it's right around the corner. You people in Florida, I feel for you. And uh, south of there, because y'all's season's probably just really going to get going. I really appreciate the downtime that I have. Not that it's downtime, because we stay plenty busy year-round. But it is nice to relax a little bit and take some of the pressure off. If I can ever do anything for any of you, don't hesitate to reach out. You can find me on Twitter. You can send me an email at realturftext at gmail.com. I'd be happy to hear from you. And thank you to everyone that has reached out to me. It really means the world to me. I've had quite a few emails from people saying how much they enjoyed the podcast. And I really appreciate them taking the time out of their day to say that the podcast has helped them. And that's why I'm doing this. If I can help one person on each episode, it was worth doing. So thank you all for listening. Until next time, see you bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Turf Text Podcast. I hope you learned something today. Don't forget to subscribe. If you have any topics you would like to discuss or you'd like to be a guest, find us on Twitter at Real Turf Text. See you bye.